going to continue our look at the Sermon on the Mount today, and we're going to be in Matthew chapter 5 again, and we're going to pick up in verse 27. Matthew 5, 27, and as you know, uh, the Sermon on the Mount has a lot of good stuff, has a lot of hard stuff, and uh, we took a break from it last week. We looked at what was hopefully an encouraging verse out of Psalm 100, said to serve the Lord with gladness, and we talked about that a little bit. But the theme of today's text is much different, much different tone. Jesus takes on the issue of adultery today, adultery in action, but he focuses primarily on adultery in the heart and mind. And I think this is a timely message because we live in a world today in which there are all kinds of draws uh, to, to sin, especially sexual sin. And I mean, it wasn't very long ago that certain things in our, in our culture were just off limits. There were certain taboos, certain things that you didn't do and certain things you didn't talk about. But that, that time has long since passed. Now, somebody might, might think amen and hallelujah to that fact that we've moved on uh, from where we once were. And no doubt there are some positive things that have happened in society. But I think by and large we as a, as a culture, as a society, are in what you call a moral freefall. For instance, it, it, it was a big deal in 1992 when the character Murphy Brown, you remember this controversy? Murphy Brown had a child out of wedlock on TV. There was a big uproar about it. But nowadays, I, I would challenge you to find uh, a, a show where a traditional nuclear family is presented in positive terms on TV. Or a show that's on for any length of time that doesn't feature some sort of uh, salacious uh, activity, some salacious romance outside the bonds of marriage. Now, used to adultery both in real life and on TV. Of course, it happened. I mean, they, they were talking about back in biblical times. Um, but it wasn't the norm. But now when you find out a person is pregnant, you say, well, there, there are two or three questions that, that get asked right away. The first is, oh, you're pregnant? How far along are you? And then that's usually followed up, do you, know by what, do you know what you're having? And then the third question that's usually mentioned in there somewhere is, do you know who the father is? And that's sad. Who's the father? Now, I am certainly not here to cast stones at anybody, but, but at the same time, we have to remember that God does have a standard that he holds people to, Christians and non-Christians alike. And, and that's what, what we're going to read today, this condemnation about adultery in the heart and mind, this doesn't come from the lips of Jeff, it comes from the lips of Jesus. And so we would do well to, to listen to what he says. Now if you found Matthew 5 in your Bible, I'd ask that you stand in honor of God's word. We're just going to read a few verses starting in verse 27. He says, You have heard that it was said, You shall not commit adultery. Of course, that's the seventh commandment. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery for her in his heart. If your right eye makes you stumble, tear it out and throw it from you. For it is better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. If your right hand makes you stumble, cut it off and throw it from you. For it is better for you to lose one of, your part, one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. Thank you. May be seated. Now, for us to understand this passage, there are a couple of important terms that we need to that we need to look at. We need to understand. The first is that word adultery. Now, traditionally, when we think of adultery, we think of one or two uh, married parties that have a sexual relationship with someone outside of their marriage. Now, this term does include that, but it's much broader than that when you consider the, the teaching of the whole New Testament. See, back in, uh, back in the biblical times, in the ancient Near East, the Romans, the Greeks, folks like those in that culture, 
they held marriage in kind of low regard. The women were basically thought of as the property of their husbands, and, and so the women were expected to be and, and had to be faithful to the husband, but the husband in their culture was under no such obligation. And therefore it was not uncommon for the man in a marriage to have all kinds of partners, but the woman just to have her husband. But the Bible presents a much different picture of God's intention for marriage. The Bible presents a picture of man and woman created equal in the image of God. And therefore, because man and woman are equal, uh, they both have a responsibility, equal responsibilities in the marriage. Therefore, a man is just as obligated as a woman to be faithful and monogamous in a relationship uh, in marriage. And therefore, any sexual relationship outside the bonds of marriage is wrong. The Bible calls it sin. Whether it be fornication or adultery or however you want to term it, man or woman, it doesn't matter. Now, there's a simple test to see if uh, to see if a person is doing this sin. It's two questions. Number one, is that person having some kind of sexual activity or relationship? If the answer is yes, the second question is, is that person they're having the relationship with their spouse? If the answer to that is no, they're in sin. It's very cut and dry. Now, if you're if you're having relations premaritally or extramaritally, it's sin. Now, the culture downplays its seriousness, but the Bible does not. In fact, it goes so far as to say things like Hebrews 13:4, Marriage is to be held in honor among all, and the marriage bed is to be undefiled. For fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. 1 Corinthians 5, verses 9 through 11, I wrote you my letter not to associate with immoral people. I did not mean at all mean with immoral people of this world, or with the covetous, or swindlers, or with idolaters, for then you'd have to go out of the world. But actually, I wrote to you not to associate with any so-called brother if he is an immoral person, or covetous, or an idolater, or reviler, or a drunkard, or a swindler, not even to eat with such a one. A couple, uh, well, in the next chapter, he, he says, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? These people are not going to go to heaven. Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. A few verses later, he says, Flee immorality. Every other sin that a man commits is outside his body, but the immoral man sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? For you have been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. Proverbs 6.32, For the one who commits adultery with a woman is lacking sense. He who would destroy himself does it. And the, the Bible just goes on and on about, on about the foolishness of adultery. Now, I, I, can, I, I think we all would, would agree adultery is bad. So that's, that's the first term we have to look at. The second term that we need to understand in this passage is the word lust. Now, um, we usually think of lust in regards to a physical, sexual desire. And it goes beyond that, but that's the way Jesus uses it here. Lust is when we set our hearts on something, or in this case, someone. It's, it's when we long for someone, we desire them. It's stirring up the passions and inflaming the passions towards that person. Now, there's a difference, there's a distinction between looking and lusting. There's a difference between looking and lusting. See, we've all had times in our lives when we happen to be at the wrong place at the wrong time, right? We've all had times when, when something unexpected happened, and we saw something that we shouldn't have been seeing. The, the Kind of the classic example of this is uh, Scarlett and I went to SBU up in Bolivar, and she knows exactly what happened in this uh, 
And she knows what I'm referring to. Anyhow, we were in the computer lab. I don't remember. I don't know if we were engaged, just been married, what. But we were in the computer lab at Southwest Baptist University. And she really likes Scooby-Doo. And she really liked him back then. I don't know why. She's an adult, but, you know, whatever. So being the good, dutiful fiancé or husband that I am, I was looking for some Scooby-Doo thing for her. She was sitting right next to me. And I did search for Scooby-Doo, whatever it was. And this this uh, result came up, and I read the description. And you know, a lot of times, even if it has a, uh, an okay description, if you look at the if you look at the link, the address, you, you can usually tell if it's going to be on the up and up. Well, this looked everything looked good, and so I clicked on it. Sitting in the middle of a computer lab, next to my fiance or my wife at Southwest Baptist University, click on Scooby Doo link. Pornography comes up on the screen, and I was like, ah! And so I'm I'm trying to click out of it, and then. They just kept popping up, and it wouldn't go away, and I couldn't get it to go off. It was it was a bad deal. See, there's a difference between something like that happening and lusting. See, lusting is when we take what we've seen, but then we dwell on it. Lusting is when we take what we've seen, and then we, we go back to see it again. Lusting is when we, we make that concerted effort to see it. We don't move on mentally. We focus on that person. We focus on that picture. We focus on that scene or that book. And we get those passions awakened. So, so with that in mind, I want us to look at what Jesus says in, in verse 27. He says, But you have heard that it was said, You shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Now, if you were here two weeks ago, you hopefully remember what we talked about uh, with murder and anger. The same thing is true here. Just like murder... It's the full-grown tree, and anger is, is the walnut or, or the acorn. Same thing here. Adultery is, is lust that has grown to maturity. Adultery starts in the heart. Adultery is the full-grown tree, but it starts out as, as lust. Lust is that acorn or the walnut. Given the right times and conditions, when lust is full-grown, it will produce adultery. We see it in the life of um, you remember Joseph? We always talk about Joseph and, and how he how strong he was in the Old Testament, how Potiphar's wife, uh, he, he stood strong and he fled whenever she would, tried to get him to lay with her. But if you look at it from Potiphar's wife's standpoint, there's a progression. It, it talks about him, uh, about her looking at him, and, and, and she had that desire, and it just progressed more and more and more until finally she tried to have relations with Joseph. You think about David and Bathsheba. David wasn't doing what he was supposed to be doing. He wasn't where he was supposed to be. He was up on uh, the roof. And what did he do first? He saw Bathsheba. But then instead of turning away, he stood there and, and, and watched her for a while. Those passions were aroused. And he ended up committing adultery. Jesus is saying here that if a man looks at a woman, and ladies, I'll, I'll change this around. If a woman looks at a man, same thing is true and lusts after them, they've already committed adultery in their heart. Now, what does this mean? Jesus is not saying if you see an attractive person and say, oh, that person is handsome, oh, that woman is pretty, that's not, that's not adultery in the heart. That's not lust. But what he's saying is, if you see somebody that you think is attractive and you keep looking and looking and looking and you have a desire for an illicit relationship, that's what Jesus is condemning. You say, but why is he being so strict? Because if the act is wrong, the desire to do that act is wrong as well. 
One commentator put it this way. He said, Jesus was condemning the deliberate and repeated filling of one's mind with fantasies that would be evil if acted out. Now, I don't think anybody here is thinking this, but maybe somebody you'll run into somewhere might say something like this. Well, if that's true, I've already committed the adultery in my heart, I might as well actually do the act. If I'm already guilty, why not just go ahead and commit the adultery? Well, that's like saying, you know, my kids made me really mad today. I might as well just go ahead and kill them because Jesus said anger in the heart is just murder in seed form and you're guilty for ang- with anger. We know instinctively that murder is inherently worse than being mad at somebody. Same thing here. The act is worse than the desire. What Jesus is saying is that lust is adultery in seed form and the desire that leads to the act is sinful and it's covered by the commandment just like the act is. Because remember, he said just several verses before, if your righteousness doesn't exceed that of the scribes and Pharisees, you'll not go to heaven. You'll not see the kingdom of God. The Pharisees said, if you don't do the act, that's fine. You've, you've fulfilled this command. Jesus says, no, it's deeper than that. It starts in the heart. So Jesus in particular has in view the person who looks at another with the express intention of awaking some desire. So maybe it's looking at a man, it's looking at a woman, it's looking at pornography, it's reading trashy novels. I mean, this is going to cover a wide range when you're looking at someone or something with the desire to incite some uh, lustful desire, that's what's being covered here. Now, just like in the case of murder, Jesus makes a very strong application of this and and uh, you can see in verses 29 and 30, he says, If your right eye makes you stumble, tear it out and throw it from you. For it is better for you to lose one of, your, one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. If your right hand makes you stumble, cut it off and throw it from you. For it is better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. Now there's an intensifying in his wording, but the point's still the same. The point is that we need to deal harshly with the causes of sin. Deal harshly with the causes of sin. Jesus says if the right eye makes you stumble, if you're reading the King James, it says if your right eye offends you. In today's culture, offense, you know, means makes you mad, hurts your feelings. That's not what he's talking about. It means, uh, the word's literally a stumbling block. Uh, the, the picture here is, is there's a rock in the road that you can't really see and you're walking down and you trip over, over it. So when so you have to have a rock, we just trip over our own feet, right? It, it's, it, it's, you know, the, the pit you see in the, the movies, especially the old movies, they're out in the woods, and there's a pit, and they cover it over with branches and leaves so it doesn't look like anything's different. And somebody's unsuspecting, they walk and they fall into it. It's also used of a, uh, of a trap. You're going to trap an animal, there's got to be a trigger. And whenever that animal hits that trigger, then the animal's trapped. Well, the word that's used here is, is that, that little handle or that little string that the animal hits that entraps them and snares them. Now Jesus says if your right eye causes you to stumble pluck it out. Now obviously Jesus is speaking in hyperbole. This is exaggeration for effect. And none of us have taken this literally because we all have two eyes. So either we don't see them this way or we realize he's speaking figuratively. Now the Bible does not teach Mutilation. Some people understood him to be saying that, but that's not what he's saying. How do we know? Because, you know what? 
You can, you can look with the left eye and lust just as well as you can with the right eye. You can be blind and still lust. Uh, this is figurative. What he's saying is we need to deal harshly and definitive with sin and its causes. The same thing is true of the hand. In that day and culture, the right side, whether it be the hand, the eye, whatever it was, was thought to be the side of favor, the side of power. Jesus is saying even the things that you cherish the most, we need to deal with swiftly as leading us to sin. Now he's talking about adultery specifically, but again, this, this applies to all areas of life. So how's this going to look today? Because obviously we live in the 21st century in America, much different than 2,000 years ago, Palestine. How's it going to look today? Well, it may, need, may, may mean that we need to cancel some subscriptions to some certain magazines. It may need to mean that we need to stop looking at certain types of pictures or going to certain kinds of movies. Maybe we can't watch certain shows. Maybe you need to delete a timer on the DVR. Maybe it means that, that you can't visit a certain kind of website or certain ones. Uh, maybe it means that you allow your spouse to have full access to your phone, your text, your email, your internet histories. Maybe it means that you don't read certain types of books. Maybe it means you stop going to certain locations. Maybe it means you need to change a friendship you have. You know, because the, the people that we're around influence us. And maybe we need to sever a relationship, just like he talked about cutting off the hand, pulling out the eye, and throwing it from us. Sometimes, uh, you know, some, some friendships, frankly, need to end. Maybe you need to have a different arrangement with some friends. Maybe you can't go to certain environments. You know, there's an old adage, if you don't want to fall, don't walk where it's slippery. The same thing is true here. It applies to adultery in the heart, but it also applies to all areas of sin. We all have areas of weakness. Maybe yours is this, maybe yours is something else. But we all have those things, those triggers, that make us more likely to fall into sin. And we need to deal harshly with our sin, no matter what the sin is. And again, I'm not here casting stones because I'm a sinner just like everybody else. But we need to deal harshly with our sin. And I want to give us a chance to do that because in a minute we're going to have a time of prayer and invitation. And that would be a great time for you to get right with God. I mean, maybe you know you've committed adultery in your heart. Maybe you've done it physically. Maybe you've murdered someone in your heart. Maybe there's something else that God's convicting you of today. Get right with God. Of course, the altar's always open. Maybe you want to stay right where you are. But re repent. Turn, on, turn your back on your sin. Don't, don't continue living the way you've been living. John wrote in 1 John, he said, I've written these things that you might not sin. But if you do sin, if we sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And what he's saying is there's forgiveness. There's forgiveness. Without repentance, there's judgment. Isn't that what Jesus was talking about? Two times in two verses, he talks about the whole body being cast into hell. That's a picture of judgment. We need to deal with sin because sin always leads to death. It always leads to separation from God. Paul said the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And if you need to accept Him as your Savior, do that today as well.